Welcome to Pilot in Manchester, episode 13. Um, there's me, Jennifer Stark. Hi, I'm John Carney. And today we are joined by Julian Tate and Sam Milsom, who are CEO and Program and Events Officer, respectively, at Open Data Manchester, which is a community interest company that focuses on developing programs around the impact, opportunities and challenges of data and open data. So, hello. And hello. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, well, thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you both here, really. You do so much in Manchester. There's always events that you've got going on. Um, so, one of the things that I think is really interesting to hear about when people talk about what their jobs they're doing is how they got there, a bit about their background. So... Julian, okay. <laughs> I've looked at your LinkedIn. It's so long. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's no kind of order or any logic to it, I don't think. Um, so um, so I uh, I went to college and I uh, became a photographer. So I used to be a magazine photographer and I also used to make films as well. And what was... <laughs> And there, it's, it is bizarrely linked, actually. Um, what was really interesting about that is a lot of the issues that came up within uh, photography and film to do with representation actually manifest themselves within data. Except a lot of those challenges were manifest at the beginning of the 20th century, such as um, how things are designed or how things are viewed and looked mm. and kind of notions of reality which are always kind of, they always slip in to the work that we do at the moment. And yeah, through through doing that, I got more interested in technology. Um, we designed something that got chosen for the Galileo Masters Prize, which is a European Space Agency thing. Oh, cool. Um, it never got developed. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but um, yeah, so, so we kind of found on a strange strange kind of circuitous uh, journey you ended up in the world of data and and open data manchester that is circuitous yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome and then sam you've also got a film background yeah yeah so i mean i i my journey started out i guess in 2010 2011 i was i did a stint working for the british council they had a um film collection of about 120, 25, 125 films that they made during the war years. It, mm. They were made to showcase life in Britain to the rest of the world. They wouldn't call them propaganda. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so actually um, they just had these films and they didn't know what to do with them. So I sort of came in with a team of other people and we um, researched them and we got them digitised and released, wow. uh, convinced them to release them online as a free open uh, library of films um so that was really really cool it was quite quite it was quite it was a long project really successful and um fruit after that i uh, so i sort of like julian kind of came at it from a very interesting angle but i've always had an interest in tech and technology and i think i became really interested in education and technology so after that i went and worked for code club um uh, i was were well, the founders a was a friend of mine and we um and I just came on board and started off helping her answer emails and then that kind of grew and so 
that was really cool. And then I moved on to sort of um, online literacy interventions. So I've kind of always worked in technology and education. So, um, and then, yeah, moved on to sort of doing, helping Julian out with events and things at Open Data Manchester. And again, that's just developed a bit over the past couple of years. So, yeah. So Open yeah. Data Manchester is about 10 years old. And then it is in March. In we March. are in March. Yeah. We are in March. Are you having any celebrations to mark the occasion? Yeah, in May. In May. So we've delayed it by by a couple of months oh. because we're very busy. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. a good thing. Not, that we're not, not because we're disorganised. Oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, in May, we're going to have a, a, a sort of a 10-year ten, ten party. That'll probably be an, happen at... Uh, and it and it is that's an open invitation to all friends. Yes, excellent. Thank you very that's much. Lovely. And certainly, I'm sure to all our listeners as Indeed. well. Indeed, absolutely, brilliant. Um, so, what is? Let's go into what Open Data Manchester actually is. Um, what is it, and why, why did you start it? So, Open Data Manchester um, was formed, as I say, in 2010, March 2010. And it was defined. It was devised from a program that I was leading, uh, whilst working for an organisation called Future Everything, which still uh, is a, still uh, is based in Manchester, uh, which create which had a brilliant kind of conference and festival, and still does. Um, so I kind of devised. It was actually a, it came from a conversation with there's a guy called Adam Greenfield who uh, wrote a book called Everywhere and about ubiquitous computing, etc. So I was sp speaking to him and then we started talking about access to information and how information can be used to create a more in engaged democratic conversation. And through this, we started to look around at what was happening around the world. And, it, and open data wasn't really on the agenda. There were certain things that were happening in Vancouver, Washington DC, San Francisco, mostly in the in the North America, mm. and seeing how that data was being used so more people could participate seemed to be very compelling. And we thought, well, this would be a really great idea. What would be really really nice to do in Manchester, Greater Manchester. And so we started to develop this project called Open Data Cities, and part of the the case to try and sell open data cities was saying when we're going to local authorities and asking them to release data was saying well there's this community of people who want to use this information because they want to do the best they can do they want to help their communities but they also want to kind of build businesses and just find out things that aren't commonly known or unknown mm. so that was kind of the rationale and after so it was, a, it was a loose community. It was a bit like Pi Data, I suppose. It was kind of a group of people who came together with some kind of common purpose of sharing information and learning. And through that, um, we kind of developed projects around cooperatives and data cooperatives and things like that. And uh, it had the usual hacks and stuff like that. And then in 2017, we actually became a proper organisation. <laughs> so it took some time. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic! It seems like it's, you've been growing along with the, with the, not not just driving the community in Manchester, but also working alongside um, other organisations across the country as the importance of data and mm -hmm. open data becomes more and more of a focus of 
discussion, I guess, even outside the tech sphere. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, I think what we find increasingly that we're doing actually, and I think it's something that um, Open Data Manchester was doing fairly early on was being quite um, critical mm. of data practice. I mean, not critical as in being a negative, negatively yeah. critical, but it was just kind of trying to understand what are we doing this for? Who are we? Who are we? Who are we doing this for? What's, yeah. the, what's, the, what's the kind of the end end purpose? And what we were finding there was a lot, especially at the start, there was a lot of a lot of kind of give us the data and everything will be all right. Yeah. And obviously, we we know where that's got us. And, <laughs> and uh, but what we what we're finding now, and and the work that, uh, especially what Sam's doing, is around how do how do we kind of look at what what this data is actually doing, and how this data is describing the world around us, and how can we try and reframe that? Sure. So it's uh, and and that's quite it allows it, it allows us to have a lot lots of different conversations with lots of people because obviously. I think everybody gets it, but coming together as a group, not many people come together as a group and actually do that, and that's kind of what these broader conversations are about. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a common theme that a lot of people will recognise, even working with data in, in smaller organisations, recognising that, oh, here's a problem, someone says, here's the data, and now you've got everything you need to solve it, and that's not the case at all, it's, even for relatively small. So it's really interesting to see how you're approaching yeah. it on you know, a greater Manchester, even a national scale. Cathcart Associates is a technology recruitment company with offices in Leeds, Manchester and Edinburgh, covering all things tech, but with an experienced team focusing on data science in the Northwest. They're good at what they do. They are one of the rare companies that understand what their candidates do. Cathcart sponsor PyData Manchester, PyData Edinburgh, Mancomel, Scottamel, and are a beating heart in the data community. You can check out their website in the show notes. So I guess I guess that brings us kind of. Can you share um, a success story with us? Um, yes, there's quite a few actually. Mm. Um, I think well, there's a few successes I can think of, and I think uh, you can probably think of a couple mm. um, early on. Uh, what was what what is now Transport Greater Manchester became the first we worked with Transport Greater Manchester to become the first transit agency to release data within the UK around uh, their their, uh, their transport schedules. Um, which, so we have always had quite a good relationship with them. Um, we've done stuff around data data cooperatives that we I mean which. We've actually managed to speak about quite a lot, especially in Europe. Hmm. There's quite a lot of interest in, within that idea of data cooperatism, data owner, uh, data trusts, mutuals. Can you explain briefly what a data cooperative is? Well, it's the idea that um, I suppose that many people feel as though they're not in control of their data. Hmm. They feel that they um, they have kind of pages and pages of user license agreements and that there is there's no rational way that they can actually give their consent freely so they feel as though they're powerless yeah and the idea of the data cooperative was what if you could create an organization that was owned by the data subjects the members but could also represent on their behalf mm. how that data got used 
So, fantastic. So, so, so it was, it was this notion of what, how would that work within the system? Could you, could that create some kind of extra value for its membership, and could it actually help drive better services and stop this kind of rapacious kind of extraction of data that's happening with a lot of organisations and, so, and, and quite a few organisations who should know better. Actually. Yes. Um, so that's that was kind of we were doing that into kind of 2000 2014 and that's kind of starting to become a conversation again which is which is really really interesting and I suppose most recently we did some work around data political data about representation and political control um, especially linked to deprivation so one of our directors Jamie White started doing these visualizations which look like lava lamps yeah they're show, amazing which show um they, they they kind of connect that kind of political control within local authorities with mm. these kind of deprivation profiles which is generally when you view things like that they tend to be done on maps and that has its own abstraction but when you see um england set out with all these local authorities you can say oh wow that is really that that say areas such as Blackpool, which is the most deprived local authority compared to, say, Hart, which is the least deprived local authority, and their political persuasions, and you, you, things start to kind of click and gel. But that allowed us to do further work uh, where we were looking at um, what what's what's happening at a, at a kind of more granular level. So within local political representation, such so as what councillors, etc., because if people want to change their communities that process is supposed to be the way that they're supposed to change them and we were kind of looking at kind of are there any kind of uh, anomalies within that process are people not being represented so we created this data set generally by just trawling through the thousands of councillor pages um, and created this data set of deprivation and Political, political representation at a local level, a neighbourhood level, that was then used in the Hope Not Hate report around divided communities. Mm. Um, so it was, and it's also led to the, a lot of work that Sam's doing as well. So it's, it's kind of, I'm sure, sure Sam could fill in with that. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, success stories are quite. I mean, I, I was thinking about the um, the mapping mobility project in Stockport which you know is similar sort of thing it was a piece of work we did around um, we worked with Disability Stockport and um, Age UK Stockport and it was to map the experiences of people getting into and out of the town centre so look at taking mm. their route you know what routes do they use to get into and out of, of town and mapping the things that are difficult and the things that are really good and just seeing what we what we could see um, and I know that uh, they the Stockport Town Centre they re, they've been redeveloping a lot of the town centre like the bus the bus station that kind of area. So um, you know there were things that we found and flagged up that have been taken into consideration for okay. that, which was which was which is really cool. So that was you on on your feet walking through Stockport and noting down as like a manual task. Like how did you do that? Yeah. So. Um, well, so the idea was that um, we'd go out on expeditions, essentially, with, okay. you know, people with physical impairments or visual impairments okay. or 
anything like that. And what we started off, we had these huge maps of, of Stockport, um, working with um, someone from, from Stockport Council as well. And we just started, we, we just asked them to describe the places they go, what worked, what didn't work. And then we would go out onto the street with them one-on-one mm. and record their, you know, take a dictaphone and record their experiences and come back and transcribe that onto a digital wow. map. Um that was the idea. We did do that, but um, the the project was sort of run from January to March, so it was sort of snow <laughs> and rain and that Brilliant. kind of thing. So yeah. I, I, don't, I would like to have got out more than than we did, but um, it was a really really enlightening experience. Actually, you know, there was so just so many things that you don't think about. You know, like we were so used to seeing, um, you know, things like dropped curbs with tactile paving, which, mm. but actually. You know, on a wheelchair. That's really on a wheelchair. I, yeah, or with know. a child's buggy, or with exactly. Any, yeah, exactly that. You know, and and it it started to lead to some much wider questions around actually our maps, and because I suppose, you know, if if we had all the time and money in the world, the end game of that project would have been, you know, great. Let's create, you know, the a, a, a routing software that anyone can use. But obviously, it's not as simple as that because. Um, you know, there's just way too many factors to take into account, and I don't. And our current sort of systems can't, in, don't incorporate mm. that. I'm not saying they can't; they could, no. but they don't. Yes. You know, so you know, the most obvious thing is I want to get from A to B, and your Google Map or whatever it is you you choose to use will just say here's the quickest route. Yeah. But, you know, if you if you're in a wheelchair, that's not helpful. If it Take, I mean, actually, if you go from Stockport Station to the town centre, the first thing it does is take you down, you know, a, a route with lots of steps. Oh, lovely. Um, and or no is it underground to... as well, or is it, like, is that an underpass as well, or just no, lots no, of steps? No, no, it's just yeah. steps. I mean, you know, there are obviously more accessible ways, but it doesn't give you that option. Mm. Um, yeah, that's know. something I find frustrating with, with maps, is that it doesn't, if you, it just assumes you want to go along all the busy main roads yeah. and breathe in all that pollution. Yeah. Um, or even using underpasses because they're yeah. more direct. Yeah. Um, often doesn't see pathways that are like down alleys or between yeah. houses that just ignores those. And they're yeah. often much nicer to walk along. Yeah. Um, and also the weather. Well, so how many, so I walk into work every day and how many, when it's been, it's been raining in Manchester for forever recently. And how many times do I have to walk a, like take the curb to step down the curb rather than the drop curb because it's flooded can't walk near it yeah absolutely and i mean things like street lights as well you mm. know certain times of day or even certain times of year certain routes um are going to be less uh, accessible to more vulnerable people yeah. you know and i think that's something that it really needs to be taken into account. And and what we found is, I think a lot of it is that a lot of systems just don't have the language to describe these experiences. Right. So, you know, that's, which is, I mean, one of the, uh, one of the first sessions I did out on the street was with uh, a gentleman who, who's, who's visually impaired. And the first thing he said to me, and it's always stuck with me is, you know, you see a road, it's just, you see a street, it's just one thing. It doesn't matter which way you're going. But for me, I'm blind each side of the, pavement is a completely different terrain that he has to learn and that was just you know and I think our systems are built that way as well on the whole I don't think that you know the they they allow for that so this has sort of led into a much bigger piece of work that we're that we're doing and we're 
it's kind of what we're calling it like the lexicon of experience is our kind of internal name for it but it's looking at you know how many different ways can you describe you know a street or the different experiences that it might incorporate so you know whatever your background is what you know what about more perceptive problems like what's the sound levels what that all those kind of things i I think this is this is i mean it sounds as though we're kind of kind kind of veering off this notion of data but actually what we're trying to do within that is and, and and we're actually uh, hoping we're going to invite as many people as possible to do this. So we've kind of cr- there's an area, well, just where we're based around uh, Federation House. We're just asking people to walk around and record their experience. And we've been working with a, a linguist who is who's from Berkeley, and we're looking at can we create these kind of commonalities. And from that, you create this this kind of structure, mm. so this lexicon, but also mm. a taxonomy of experience. Mm. And once you start doing that and codifying, mm. I mean, it might not be able to be done. I mean, we we don't know, but we think it should be able to be done. Yeah, there's a the op- Open Sidewalks project, which is based in America. They they sort of mapped Seattle. They they've developed essentially a standard for mapping things from lots of lots of different experiences so we've been talking to them and you know obviously it's an american so you'd expect american taxonomy so um we're hoping to sort of have a look at that you know and as julian said it might not be that that it's something that can be mapped but Mm. that's okay from from what we've looked at and other people we've talked to they kind of get to a certain point which is they start to look at it and they go Oh, actually, I don't want to touch that, you know, and they step back from it. So I don't know whether, yeah. whether what we're doing is... is It's kind of structural. Yeah. I think that's it's, yeah. it's structurally looking at how things are. Well, I think that seems, that seems like a logical place to start, in yeah. that before you can start suggesting what solutions are, mm. you've got to be understanding what the problem is, and before you can understand what the problem is, you've got to have some way of measuring it. And yeah. at yes. the moment, we don't yes. even have a, a ways of describing how to measure it. So yeah. this, seems, language. This, yeah. 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 this seems integral to data. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think what's really... what's I think what's good about this particular project for me anyway is it is it's this sort of intersection i think of what open data manchester does really well which is you know it is it's taking something quite abstract yeah um but actually it's like no well this is a very real this is how it can affect us and our communities every single day mm. and i think a lot of people don't understand that when you talk to them i mean this comes from a lot of the other work i do like this with the data for communities project uh that we do it's it's getting people to understand where they live in their communities by getting them to look at the data that is collected around it yeah i think because i think data for a lot of people it's so abstract it puts them off but actually you 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 need to get them interested and they can start to understand actually how it does shape their lives yeah decisions are made based on based on this data and policy is made based on this data you know i mean in stockport there was a disabled parking bay that was on a really steep gradient but not only that there was um (laughs) there was a um terrible there was a a lamppost so one of the guys who came out of me said yeah i can't park there because when i park there i can't even open up the door to get out (laughs) you know (laughs) and that was not and and again i don't that's that's no one being nefarious it's just that the system doesn't account for it in yeah. a way. So if it's not measured, you can't have a policy that addresses indeed. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I, I I do think this is kind of coming back to Sam's previous point with regards to the data for communities work, which actually span out of the, the re- political representation work. So there is kind of 
there are threads that run oh, through yeah. everything. Because <laughs> what because what we found with the with the um, with the representation work, well, there were kind of anomalies of you would say that the kind of community our communities being represented properly, and we f- we found out it looked like there was kind of areas that didn't have that kind of representation. And through that work that Sam's been doing, we found out that some even some local councillors didn't understand they were representing. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's. I mean, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, that's that's quite shocking. Yeah. Certainly. But um, yeah, important. I mean, that I mean, I I guess is that a success? Maybe it's a success. Is you know helping this councillor understand you are also representing these people. Um, But yeah, but there are there are there are so the data for communities are 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 workshops we've run. They're they're like most of our stuff. They're free, and it's it's people can come along and they Mm. learn like an introduction to data. What is data? Mm. And then we explore some open data sets. Uh, that are freely available online it's completely spreadsheet free it's designed to be you know if you don't have your laptop with you but you have your smartphone you can still access all this stuff that's how it's designed and um well i think i think it counters this 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 notion that when you talk about data i mean it always you you must get this all 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 the time when when talking about data is that some people kind of engage with it and some people just switch off because yeah. it's that kind of hot stuffy classrooms in, mm. uh, on, in uh, the end of term and you just kind of want to get out mm. and actually when you start talking to people and tell start talking to them about what data is uh, do you like football i mean football fans are the biggest right. data nerds you know they'll, oh, they'll oh my gosh i know <laughs> and it's kind of yeah. anybody who follows sport. tracking statistics yeah 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 i mean, I know anybody yeah. Who, I mean and and so people generally have an innate ability to to process data mm. it's just because mm. it's framed within this this kind of how how you were taught at school well you've got to find something that you you're interested in that you can relate yeah. to that yes. is important to you to, yeah. to yes, engage definitely. with it i mean otherwise yeah why why are you engaging (laughs) and i mean that's what we try to do you know like there's no point in trying to sort of teach people data skills data literacy skills if they don't have an interest right you've got to find that thing that interests them and i think that's that's the jumping off point for a lot Mm. of us stuff is like how can you how can we make it interesting Mm -hmm. how can you make it engaging for people right they want to come and find out more you know so one of those things that you did to try and encourage engagement was your tent at Blue Dot Festival. Yeah, yeah. Mm. which actually... was fabulous. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it was. Um, that was really good fun. It was really wet. So rainy. <laughs> so rainy. It really was wet. It's, I'm glad it you really had fun as well. <laughs> but but that came. I mean, we were we were really uh, pleased to be invited. Um, it was quite a surprise, actually. But the um, but it was. It was really interesting being in in a kind of a field in a tent and kind of trying to engage people. We didn't have it. We didn't have any computers yeah. or anything. Well, we did have to print out labels, and we just had all these kind of very analog. We had a Lego map where where we were kind of trying to poll people's um, how happy they were yesterday, which is a, a kind of a, a national statistic that's that's collected every so often. Sean Borg, that was. Well, Sean Borg did the. Um, well, yes, he printed out the map. Printed out he printed, the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was really. That was, a, that, was a, 
Two weeks of printing. That was. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. <laughs> and he says, and he'd come in and he'd say, "Yeah, yeah, I, I, I slept, I slept over in the workshop last night." Just, You're not. You don't need to be doing this. So it, so it took two weeks because it's a 3D printed map, right? It's a 3D yes. printed yes. map. So the base map is a Lego. The Lego base map. But, is, but what are you? But you, what the conversations that you get? That the we the we managed to, to spark from those kind of this people could put their a Lego block that corresponded to their their happiness on this on this map, and also we have this kind of we have a loom which we weave data, mm. um, and what you find is that it, it, it kind of slightly um, people just kind of go all right what's this about and. So you end up having all these com these really interesting conversations. Cautiously curious about yeah, what yeah, you were doing. You know, you're at a you're at a music festival, right? Yeah. You've got to, and you got to try and do a tent on data in a right. way that is going to engage people at a music festival. It's an art festival. Science. Well, yeah. it is. So for those who don't know, Blue Dot Festival is every year, and it's at Dodge or Bank, um, in a field by the telescope, um, and it's a science music festival which seems an odd combination but i mean they get really great headline acts mm -hmm. their speakers are world class yeah. um and it's a fantastic event and yeah. so you're it there is. trying to engage music fans yeah who may and not be fans. who <laughs> may well science, yeah. yeah but they're not necessarily the same people are they, they, sure. they there's not necessarily an overlap but hopefully there is. Yeah. But but what you but what you get so with the, with the weaving so so when it did become uh, sunny, <laughs> I love the weaving. So so we had such a good oh, idea. Well, well, if you think about it, is is that what you what, what you're doing is is a time series <laughs> yeah. of 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 data. So each each kind of weft thread, which is the the horizontal threads, represents some uh, a piece of information. And so we had we had eight volunteers, and we were there, and we were taking turns to weave, and we were weaving people's names using a rather antiquated uh, coding called uh, ITA2 Bordeaux Murray, which is means you can get everything in five bits rather than eight bits because it, oh, so it's quicker. Is that the reason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, we were like, oh. <laughs> but the, but but also but also what we did is that. That people would sit around, and you think nobody oh. would sit around in a in a circle in a circle just talking, if you were just somebody on a on a on a computer yeah. with a with a display, and people people were talking about weaving, yeah. people were talking, but what it did, it just totally kind of reduced that kind of oh this is technical right, yeah. and and it's just and people were really really interested and fascinated and engaged yeah. with it. It turns yeah. it into a physical thing. That yes. They can yes. Something tangible that yeah. they can pick up and see. Like I mean, even with the Lego map, you know, mm. it was like you know, on a scale of zero to ten, how happy were you yesterday? But also place it where you've come from. Right. So, um, you know, it was quite interesting. Certain people would look at it and go, "Oh, they've they've given themselves a ten. Everyone from that area must be really happy." And you're like, and, and actually, it was that. No, you're looking at two different data sets. You know, you're looking at a happiness index of people at Blue Dot, but then also a sort of map of where people have come from and the two yeah. so you know it was getting them to sort of be able to explore they starting to think about it in that way you know but, but, but we got quite i mean we managed to collect over a thousand data points which was which was which was um quite surprising really and but what we what we what it allowed us to do was then we could then kind of build up the different colored lego towers 
and you and, and you get these normal distributions, <laughs> and you could see during the festival the normal distribution was shifting towards happiness. It oh, was a fantastic amazing. bell curve. It was yeah, really yeah. was. It was kind of there you go. There's <laughs> your surprisingly, people got happier as the weekend went on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's science right there. I do worry though that I don't know how GDPR compliant our um, our loomy our weaving is. If someone asks for us to delete all their data, we might have to sit yeah, down. Just Back, yeah. <laughs> Just burn it. yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, you bring up a good point though. Um, with GDPR being related, I mean, there's two points. There's a couple of. I've made some notes. Um, so GDPR is related to is an EU regulation. Mm-hmm. The UK is no longer part of the EU and therefore no longer part of its regulations. It's still part of the EU until the, the end of the transition. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but how do you think that's going to affect, if at all, how companies, um, whether companies will tr- still try to improve how they deal with and manage their data? I think I don't think it's going to have any effect okay primarily because if the if the uk started um enacting its own data i mean the, the gdpr is actually a, a, quite a complex piece of legislation well it is a is a big piece of legislation and then and it's become embedded because people have created systems to 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 um comply with it I think also because of the nature of data, I mean, unless we become kind of a North Korea and have this kind of great firewall around and it's kind of British data for British people. <laughs> um, oh, no. But, but, but the yeah. data is not like that. Data, flow, yeah. data flows. And, and it's that idea that if the EU cannot trust the UK as being yeah. a... I mean, I know there's been talk of um, having a... Oh, there's, there's, there's a certain kind of compliance status... And I, I forget the wording of it, but I, but I do think that really, if if the UK, if companies that that manage and use data in the UK, um, are going to survive, then there has to be that kind of mm. we are going to have to um, comply with it because yeah, I just think I I can't see it working any other way. That makes really. a lot of sense. Um, Although I did get an email from Google the other day telling me that um, they've moved. Uh, so so people's accounts are either registered as, as Google Ireland or mm-hmm. Google US. Mm-hmm. And we got an email. I don't know if you guys saw it. I, guess, yeah, I think I Sam looks like. <laughs> you know, but saying that the, my account, I think, is now registered as, a, as in a Google US, not Google Ireland. So I, I think that means my information on my account oh, is no longer associated with you um that says i i just briefly scanned it you know what their t's and c's mm-hmm. are just massive and ridiculous um bringing up your point about data corporate uh, corporate is very yeah, nice. right, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah in, yeah in, indeed um uh, but but, follow, but also within that i mean we're doing a much large piece we've been doing a piece of work for the last nine well it's actually coming up for 10 months 10 11 months. i was just going to move into this is this your declaration, declaration for responsible and intelligent data practice it is yeah yes <laughs> so it so, was planned so so the, so this is yeah this is a this is quite a huge piece of work actually and um slightly well I would, it kind of seems slightly insane but actually you feel that talking to lots of people who use data 
um, they who want to do the, do good by data, um, there is a need for for people to make a stand. It's kind of I mean, obviously GDPR is starting to become tested, um, and the cases will kind of start to crop up. They will test the test the law. Um, but it's about well, actually, can people make a difference with without having to wait for the legislation to kind of catch up? And so this has been a program that has been happening. Um, where we've done quite a lot of workshops, talking to lots of people, local authorities, uh, um, quite a lot of local authorities, academia, businesses, etc., and the community at large, seeing what were their concerns. And it's, it's that kind of mapping. So you, so you find out broad thematic areas and it's, it's generally about personal data. It's about respect of the individual. And respect of the individual is also about who that individual is. It's being aware of the, the other, the people who perhaps don't, are not represented within data systems or in, the, or in that, that technological development. Well, the, that data is still collected. That data is still collected, yeah. yeah. And things like the environment. I mean, the environment, this will become, I think, will become a bigger and bigger issue is the kind of the environmental impact of data. So it's not, um, I mean, there's huge terawatts of power gets used in da- in production of data. It's, yes. like, it's similar to... There was, a, there was a thing I saw the other day about, um, you know, think before you print this email, actually. Lots of them, what you should really do is think before you reply. Do you need to send that? <laughs> you know, genuinely, like, you know, do you need to send that email that says, okay, great, see you then? Do you actually need to send that email? Because that's taken up a certain... How, much, how many emails around the world are, are just those things oh, and how much energy that then produces is quite... I, I was at an event. Um, it was at, I think it was the Data Marketing Association... Yes, it is the Data Marketing Association. It was a round table uh, a few weeks ago. And there's a guy there who works for some kind... He works at a... Um, basically, um, it's a security company. And he was saying there's, there's roughly around 50% of, of traffic that they're having to deal with is kind of spam or bot-related traffic. And you think, well, if you're talking about you're using terawatts of energy then basically half of that load is just (laughs) rubbish yeah bots that people are trying to block and other people are I've been involved with a number of organisations who basically use bots because it's cheaper than subscribing to a a centralised service that has that information and I think um, in, a, in, econo- in, in economic terms, that's described as an externality because yes. no one has to pay for the extra energy, or mm. the no. Um, no one in their in their business has to anyway. Well, it's right, distributed. No it's a distributed cost, isn't it? Yeah. And and I, and I think what's what's interesting about that was what they also said that a lot of it happens in uh, price comparison sites are notorious for doing yes. it. And they were saying, well, one of one of the, one of the things they recommended is that people publish that data openly because if they're being scraped yes, yes. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and it's using a lot of, it's it's costing the organization who's being scraped a lot mm. of money because of obviously yeah. their, their bandwidth and and it also means that these people who are trying to get hold of this data are um, 
obviously using a lot of energy as well. So it's kind of, if we just make an API available, and perhaps maybe have a, a small cost to it, right. then you probably save yourself a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Google started doing, I think, so, not for that, perhaps that that same um, outcome, but for for hotels, um, on hotel websites, if you um, if they adhere to a certain format, yeah, then Google can scrape it without you know yeah. without having the same cost and not being not appearing like a bot and it yeah so it shows that it can be done um, and it will be much easier for lots of people involved. I I think there's um, I think there's a lot of people who are in denial though. I, I think there's and it's also there's a fear of well if if we're the first people to do it is that going to is that going to compromise our competitiveness or yeah. are we are we admitting that certain things are wrong, which would make we we find challenging? I, it's it's quite a strange it's it's quite a strange environment at the moment where there's a lot of people, a lot of organisations who kind of know what the problem is, but they just don't really want to deal with the problem. Yeah, well, I mean, Apple has started coming out with some of their advertisements suggesting. I can't remember the exact thing, but basically we're not the bad guys when it comes to data. We respect your privacy. And yes, it's uh, a selling point, I'm not sure it? all of us are entirely agreeing on that, but when you're, rel- when you're comparing that to um, other players yeah. in the market, it's they've advent- identified it as, a, as an advantage to their business yeah. to at least appear. Or well, should we ask, what do you think of that, Siri? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, she's, she's actually off. I don't use Siri, yeah. not for any reason. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think they, I think they, they have to do that because, for one, it gives them a, an advantage over other companies who, to, for um, people, their clientele that are interested in privacy. So they, they're going to people mm-hmm. who want privacy are going to gravitate towards Apple. And those who are already with Apple, maybe and are worried about privacy, might be wondering like, well, where is my face? Why do why do I want to use face ID? Like, do I want to yeah. buy that phone? Because the only option is face ID. So there's adverts I've seen Apple um, putting out are trying to allay fears that people might already have about their face ID. Like it's only on the phone directly it doesn't go to the cloud doesn't go anywhere else it's like just on your phone so people can feel like they've been in control of their data um that's not an advert for apple other phones no. are available um, um but th- that seems directly comparable to kind of the um brands trying to appear more green yes yeah. around climate change and it's something that people care about yeah so there's an advantage to them appearing green and that seems like there could be a good advantage of brands signing up for signing up for a charter by which they agree to behave yeah i mean i think i think we, we you have to look at all these um corporate statements with a certain degree of <laughs> yes. suspicion yeah. because because obviously they're doing it primarily that they primarily want to make money to, to make money and when when the, yeah. when the circumstances change then right things may change things may change but for the moment being uh positive doing good things that are doing things behaving in a way that's good for the the environment even if it makes money is still maybe good maybe yes <laughs> i'm not sure if that sentence made any sense yeah. um right but then uh so we're, we're uh coming kind of to the end of our recording time um so there's a couple of things i really want to um 
discuss before we come to the end, and that is um, you also work with um, not work with bias, but you part part of your work oh, part of your biased. work is about data bias. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the projects or work or speakers you've had in that are around the subject of data bias? Yes. So it's um, I suppose it's so what we are very interested in and and, and we've alluded to it um, yeah. earlier is around these kind of the structure the structural um, biases that happen within technology. So it's this. I, I, although I don't think anybody believes it anymore that data and technology is political. It's designed and it operates within a certain yeah certain kind of development framework. So it's like a lot of statistics are based around this idea that of measuring the state. It's about management in a way. And so within that, you've got various biases because the organisations that may develop them um, might be building in those particular viewpoints or standpoints that um, that they have without mm. any kind of appreciation of the other. So we had uh, Safia Noble, mm. um, uh, Dr. Safia Noble, who was um, who had recently written a book called Algorithms of Oppression. Come and speak. I mean, that was back in two thousand and eighteen. Mm. She was fantastic. Yeah, and, and, really and, good. And she was, and she was talking about this. Um, how search within on the internet was generally biased so if you if you kind of searched up uh young white women it will it will show a certain thing if it's young black women it would generally a lot of it would be um pejorative and and and, and quite nasty and it's, it's kind of how the biases exist within within search and how search engines are created and 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 so that's that created a lot of it kind of keyed in very nicely with our work actually because it's it's that that notion of well actually from our standpoints it's very hard to kind of accommodate that other other position um and also this is kind of with with also manchester metropolitan university as well so um, with the school of digital arts um we've got another speaker coming in who charlton mckillwain Mm-hmm. Uh, who is who wrote about black software? It's about this kind of the role of the African American within within the creation of the internet, and obviously these are voices that are not necessarily heard. And he talks about uh, Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, which the Me Too movement has been around since two thousand and seven. Apart from people who just only kind of cottoned onto it in the last couple of years. And and as this it came from the experiences of a black woman who was uh, in New York and um, and I and I think this 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 notion of getting people to come talk about hmm. the, a, a a viewpoint that you perhaps would not have experience about will help everybody's practice because it is we make assumptions in our mm. everyday. And I mean, I think it's actually something that permeates. Every, I mean, it's almost everything we do without yeah. you know I've already talked about the mapping projects and right. the lexicon thing but I mean in a lot of the data for communities and other training and workshops that I do that's something that was kind of rammed down people's throat a little bit it's actually <laughs> you know, no but it isn't or just awareness of biases yeah. that sort yeah. of thing and yeah. you know like I think for a lot of people 
particularly if they're vaguely, you know, relatively, then they're just kind of getting on the on-ramp to data. It's actually really important to them. Yeah. It isn't something they would necessarily think about. And just having an awareness in and of itself is sometimes all, all they need, actually. Yeah, and, and we don't... We, we don't kind of ram this pe- down people's throats. We don't kind of say, yes. Oh, sorry, that was <laughs> maybe, maybe I feel like I do sometimes. Cause <laughs> I, no, no, because it's, but, it, but it's that kind of just kind of saying and showing people where things may happen. Yeah, I don't um, ram anything down it. It's, it's <laughs> quite enlightening. I mean, it's we, and And what we find, we're actually doing more data standards work. I mean, not... It is. It is kind of all related, and the work mm. we've been doing with we we worked on developing a data standard for waste tracking mm. last year. Um, there's a billion pounds of waste cr- crime within the UK, and the um, and it's a, it's a data problem. Waste well, it's crime. Partially a d- crime. Waste crime. So it's about people dumping body parts in Sri Lanka and and. That's an extreme. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but, but it's an extreme. But, it, but, 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 it, but well. it happened. The UK yeah, exports yeah. a lot of his crap to um, to uh, less developed countries, and and mm. and that it says bye bye. Sorry, they they export body parts to other. Yeah, like, there was, like, there's two hundred containers of body parts wrapped in blankets turned up in Sri Lanka. Sure. Oh my god! I, didn't I think it's two hundred or twenty. I might have a, mag- a magnitude issue there. It's definitely not two, but it was twenty. Is still a lot of containers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the problem. I mean, there's, there is a lot of corruption, and it's probably because nobody knows what waste is and how yeah. to, how to uh, categorize it. Yeah. And but you you what you start talking about through that exercise when we were kind of developing prototype standard was that you end up talking to people and actually realize a lot of these kind of standards that we work with have developed from a very top-down approach right Mm. so these are the regulations this is what you have to comply with without actually any kind of bearing of yeah what's the actual experience of doing something Mm. and i think what's interesting about good digital developments at the these days is we're becoming more aware of that what's happening at the bottom rather than we've got to impose from the top yeah and i think this is kind of i suppose we find ourselves in that place whether it be through kind of different people's experiences to different kind of ways of working etc that Mm. it kind of helps us develop our practice better yeah so something else you just started doing um i think you just something i've just become aware of is um your open data surgery Oh, yes. What mm-hmm. is that? What's yeah. the idea behind that? Well, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so open data surgery, I guess, came from, you know, we, we Julian and I are obviously, you know, we're, we are Open Data Manchester is a small organisation, but we have a large community of uh, collaborators and people we work with, such as yourselves. And, um, you know, it was really a chance for us to sort of just give people from the community space to come and talk to us about mm. anything they want to talk about yeah. any any sort of data or open data related projects they can see it's the last friday of every single month and people can book a slot it's completely free and just come and On chat to us via eventbrite right via eventbrite yeah. yeah yeah and it's just a really informal sort of um 25 30 minute chat about anything they want they can so just for example what what us. kind of things have people have come and asked about 
Well, we, I mean, we have some people who just kind of want to, they, they literally come and say, I just want to know a bit more about data and open data and how it can help me. But we have some very specific projects. Yeah. When you had regression analysis. We had, someone came and asked about regression analysis on Friday. <laughs> and obviously, I don't know much about that. So mm -hmm. we call on our, our, you know, if we can, we like to sort of call on our community to help. So... Uh, John here uh, yeah. came oh, really? and essentially yeah. essentially did that session for me. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, that's the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's everybody wants to try and help each other. Yeah. And yeah. there are people, there's lots of people who volunteer to say, well, if this, if if you need any help. Yeah. And that's what, what, so if people book on to, to these sessions, and as, as we said, they're free, um, and they give us advice, they let us know what they want to talk about, then we just reach out to people and okay. say, well, yeah. can you come yeah, and help it's... this person? I mean, we have had a few problems with bots, because bo oh, no bots way. are being yeah. onto our, yeah. <laughs> our sessions, but hey, well, yeah. they're everywhere. Yeah, one of the things was, you know, what do you want to come and talk to us about? And it said, my girlfriend is my life. And I was like, <laughs> either you've missed the point or, yeah, you're, not, yeah. or you're not real. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think what I like about those is that it is, you know, it's... It, comes back to people just us or people helping each other out and yeah. sharing skill sharing and knowledge yeah. sharing and that kind of thing and we will it's us it's a chance for us to actually get to meet people yeah. and to hear a little bit more about who they are where they're mm. from what they do mm. and start to make those connections point them to the right people mm. and put them in touch and i think that's and i think that's what's really powerful about the manchester tech scene anyway definitely um you know I yeah I, I think it's that that kind of the, the a lot of people don't realise that there are so, so many fantastic communities around yeah. actually, and and I think that by by giving them access to those and kind of saying look these people over here they do this you should yeah. go and talk to them or you should go and be part of that community they yeah. won't bite mm, yeah and I think that's that's kind of it. I think that's valuable. I think that's valuable for us all, actually. Yeah. Oh, incredibly. Um, making it feel well, making people feel welcome, and part of it is just making making people aware that these resources exist, these people exist, because mm. there's far too much in tech and in data to to ever learn and understand your own on your own. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah. I think it's quite scary sometimes yes. to sit there and go, "I don't know this. Where do I go? And who do I ask?" And I think people don't don't ask those questions and and i think what we try to do and i think that's what you guys try to do as well is to give them that kind of on-ramp in a sort of friendly way i think that i hope that's what yeah. the impression that people get or at least the work i do for Iridium or that we do mm -hmm. yeah. brilliant um all right so we're going to wrap up i think right yes yes we are and so the final question for each of you um yeah. It's just a quick question. Okay. Is uh, who we ask? We ask everyone. This is a standard question. Um, who do you admire in the tech data communities space? It doesn't have to be Manchester. It could be anywhere, including Manchester. Yeah. Ooh, lots of people. That's brilliant. Really? Name them. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna put a plug out. Well, not a plug out. I'm. I would yeah. say. You can. You I would can say. I'd say that there are organisations, people like Innovate Her, mm. doing really good stuff in which you know they send mentors into schools to work with. I think secondary school girls, mm -hmm. and you know, kind of get giving them experience of of the tech industry, and they also help. I think the you know, going into the tech industry, helping them get ready, and it's you know, it's. 
addressing the gender inequality and biases from like a really young age, I think mm. that's really cool. So yeah, that's people doing things like that, I, I really admire. Yeah, um, that's a really hard <laughs> question. I'm very. Uh, you can name really... several, or you can skip it. I uh, such, you don't a, admire uh, anyone. <laughs> such a cop out. You don't admire anyone. <laughs> I don't admire anybody. I so many people. I just think there's there's so many people doing some re doing some really cool stuff. I I just think so. There's, there's some people who are good friends of ours who are involved with open heroines, which was always set out to kind of um, basically showcase and support women who women in tech, which is kind of a, quite an international community. Um, there's there's loads of stuff being done around trying to understand. And I can't name particular names. This is this is this is the problem because I'm really terrible for doing that. But I know these projects were working with indigenous peoples in in Canada and in New Zealand, ma mapping territories in a way that that um, people would not normally map. So so um, I suppose from a a New Zealand government perspective or a, a European centric perspective, a hill is a hill. Or a river is a river, but for, to, to but to the Maori, these are they they are the relationship is totally different. Right, gotcha. And therefore, you it's kind of the work around understanding that and and bringing that to the fore. I find really really interesting. Um, yeah, there's some some great people. I mean, as I was kind of say, there's Innovate her team. Um, this is too many. Yeah, we'll make sure we um, get some some Twitter links and um, bios and stuff off you after the yeah. after this conversation. Put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish you'd allowed us prepare for that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I the really point. No one gets to prepare for that. Um, but yeah, we'll put any any names or links or websites or any groups um, in the show notes afterwards, so people can check them out. Yeah. All I'd right. Like, I'd like to say Stafford Beer. <laughs> all right that's brilliant thank you so much for coming thanks for joining us thank you thank you very much for having us horsefly is a data science driven provider of talent analytic solutions with offices in manchester and liverpool the data scientists code in python every day if you love data and have a natural curiosity to dive into a data set get in touch with horsefly or reach out to PyData. we can pass you on Check out their website in the show notes. Without the support of Horsefly Analytics, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast.